Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. Welcome to it. I'm John Fugelsang. Great to have you with us here at Channel 127. This is Tell Me Everything, the little show that brings good trouble to the right-wing bubble. Welcome to Progress After Dark. For the next three hours, we're going to be taking your calls and your questions and your corrections and your horrible jokes and your threats and your promises of glory at 866-997-4748. We would love to hear from you. We're live and interactive all the way till midnight on the East Coast. 9 p.m. on the Pacific. We're just like cable news, except we let you talk and we listen. Our Trump-supporting brothers and sisters go straight to the front of the queue. We love you. We won't hate you back. We'll drive you nuts that way. Strong show tonight. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you'll be calling us to join in. Professor Corey Brechneider will be joining us very shortly to talk about all the legal doings that are happening right now. Dr. Jason Nichols of University of Maryland will be with us in hour number two. Covering all the politics. And uh, Chris Hauselt, our executive producer, is running this beast out of South Carolina. I come to you from Brooklyn. Tonight, let's do a show. Tonight, it's uh, it's kind of crazy. There's a lot going on. And I, I wanted to talk about this TikTok thing. But you know what? It's just the, the, the weak and idiots is just too strong. The, the weak and idiots just is crying out to be a segment. Let me begin by talking about Ashley Babbitt. Not calling her an idiot. But my God, she has sort of become like Madonna in Lourdes for violent idiots. It's a tragic story. A former U.S. service member who believed the lies of Donald Trump, who attended his little insurrection jamboree, who tried to climb through a broken window next to a barricaded door to stop the certification of the newly elected United States government. She was shot in the process after being warned. She was 35, an Air Force veteran. She was with those rioters. Threatening cops as they tried to break through the partially glass doors leading toward the House chamber. Dozens of your lawmakers and their staff were holed up inside and the police were trying to evacuate them as the members of the mob continued to strike down the glass doors. Ms. Babbitt was the first one. She tried to climb through one of the doors. You've probably seen the video, but. The officer, according to the DOJ report, fired one round from his service pistol, striking Ms. Babbitt in the left shoulder, causing her to fall back from the doorway and onto the floor. She was rushed to a hospital in D.C. where she died. You saw it. We all saw it. It was on TV. She believed Donald Trump's lies. She was part of a violent terrorist attack on our Capitol. I choose that word carefully. Terrorism, according to the dictionary, means the use of violence or the threat of violence to enact change on a policy level. 
That's exactly what they were doing. Now, the DOJ would not press charges against Officer Michael Byrd because there was no evidence to contradict his story. He believed it was necessary to shoot her, in his words, in self-defense or in defense of the members of Congress and others evacuating the House chamber. And after he did shoot her, no one else came through that door to try to overturn your government. Uh, Officer Byrd was also exonerated of any wrongdoing and another investigation by the police. So Donald Trump, who is a racist... And we can talk about this, right, guys? Donald, he, he, Donald Trump is a he's 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 really racist. He's Do, Donald. I mean, we're, Donald Trump is so racist. His crosses burn themselves. You know, Donald Trump is so racist. He almost named Eric apartheid. He's a racist man. Donald Trump is, is so racist. Uh, he, he makes the, the call girl for foreplay read the Dred Scott decision. It's really true. Uh, Donald Trump is so racist when he types how to be it autocompletes more racist that, that you get the idea, right? Um, he's so incredibly, well, <laughs> he's, he's so incredibly racist that all major racist groups endorsed him. So Trump on Truth Social posted and called Byrd, who was a black policeman, 28 year veteran, a thug, because that's a word the Fox News culture only assigns to African-Americans. I have never seen them call a white lawbreaker a thug. He called the officer a coward who wanted to show how tough he was. Ashley Babbitt was murdered. Now, again, Ashley Babbitt is dead because of Donald Trump's lies. That's it. If you're a Trump supporter, we always invite you to call up and uh, explain to us how that's not the case. But Kevin McCarthy, now the Speaker of the House, I mean, in the beginning, he defended the Capitol Police when Ashley Babbitt was shot and killed. He said months ago about Marjorie Taylor Greene's comments that she'd been murdered. Kevin McCarthy said, I think the police officer did his job. And Trump flipped out. And he posted on Truth Social, I totally disagree with the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, about the officer who shot and killed great patriot, Ashley Babbitt. Now, let's just step back for a second. Remember, if you think that Derek Chauvin was just doing his job when he put his knee on George Floyd's neck for nine minutes and murdered him, but Michael Byrd is a murderer for stopping Ashley Babbitt, for stopping the terrorist assault on our Capitol... You are a racist. There's no might be. It's just, it's, it's, I can show you on an abacus. It's true. So NBC News reported that today, a clearly horrified Kevin McCarthy sat down for a meeting with the mother of domestic terrorist Ashley Babbitt. Now, he met privately with the mother of a violent felon who participated in an armed assault on our Capitol two years ago. Again, before he said this police officer did his job, but after Donald Trump smacked him down, he met with her mother. Now, look, I have nothing but compassion for Ashley Babbitt's mother. I'm deeply sorry for her loss. I wish her daughter had honored her military vows and oath. I wish her daughter hadn't believed Donald Trump. I wish her daughter was still alive. But here's the thing. If any of these conservatives, they're not conservatives, I'm sorry, any of these, these, these right-wing people, these red hats, if they cared about Ashley Babbitt... They'd go after Trump because his lies are the reason she's gone. But they don't care about her life. They care about exploiting her death for crass political points. Ashley Babbitt is Benghazi. She's just like Benghazi. Let me explain. No, no MAGA fans care about the four men who were murdered by terrorists in Benghazi. Instead, they used those deaths and exploited those deaths not to go after the terrorists, but to go after Democratic politicians in their own country they didn't like. First, they blamed Susan Rice 
instead of the terrorists. Then they blamed Barack Obama instead of the terrorists. Then they blamed Hillary Clinton instead of any terrorists. And of course, on January 20th, 2017, the day Donald Trump was sworn in, they dropped it. They dropped Benghazi and never mentioned it again. Now, if you think I'm being too harsh on them, it's when I say they don't care about the four men killed in Benghazi. Next time you're with your right wing loved one or your neighbor or that dude on Facebook you're still friends with from high school or whatever, your coworker, your right wing Trumper. Next time they start talking about Benghazi. Next time you're around a friend or loved one who says, oh, how angry they are about what happened in Benghazi. Ask them if they can name any of those four men murdered that day. They can't. They never mattered. The entire issue of Benghazi was dropped by Republicans January 20th, 2017, the day Trump was sworn in. They never mentioned it again. It's, 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 it's so infuriating. I almost don't want to talk about the stupid stuff, but I, I, I have to because there's so much stupid stuff going as we begin to wrap up the week. And of course, if I'm talking about stupid stuff, I'd say four times out of five lately, I'm talking about Florida. Um, meanwhile, down south on the Great Peninsula, did you hear about Florida's Tallahassee Classical School? It's a charter school. It's a, one of these Christian charter schools that doesn't teach the stuff Christ taught. It's just conservative. The principal has been fired after parents complained their sixth grade children were shown Michelangelo's 16th century sculpture of David with one parent saying it was pornographic. Remember the Simpsons episode where Marge Simpson tries to get Itchy and Scratchy, the cartoon band for all of its violence. And once they do get it banned, he's excited to bring more art and culture to town. And they bring David and the same parents protest because it's a naked statue of a man. <laughs> Life imitates the Simpsons. Um, the now fired principal, her name is Hope Karaskila. Uh, she said it was kind of complicated, but that due to a series of miscommunications, the letter with the permission slip, because they were saying classical artwork, didn't go out to all the parents. So some people got very upset. Because their children were seeing a marble sculpture of the biblical figure David that was made between the years 1501 and 1504, originally commissioned for display inside an Italian cathedral. It was commissioned by the church, and it's now in Florence. <laughs> and they fired the principal because children were shown one of the most famous works of art. These are sixth grade parents. These are 11 and 12 year olds who saw one of the most famous works of art on the planet. And the principal's fine. The, the, the school, Tallahassee Classical, is affiliated with Hillsdale College, which is a right-wing Christian institution, and they have been setting up more and more public charter schools. Now, Hillsdale briefly cut ties with Tallahassee School early last year for not meeting some of their standards, but then they went back. Um, can I just say, now, uh, we've explained Ashley Babbitt to the idiots. Can I explain Michelangelo's David to the idiots? Um, unclothed bodies are not pornographic. Okay. I was raised Catholic. I understand your hangups. Clearly, you're someone who spent more time with St. Paul and Jesus because Jesus doesn't have the sex hangups. St. Paul, his conservative PR guy, did. But the human body without clothing is not pornographic. And teaching kids that it is, is deeply problematic. Are you ready for the therapy bill? Because hmm? I find it offensive that you find it offensive. Why is it only in our country that nudity is considered sexual? That just the, the human body on its own is considered sexual. You know why. Because of sexless people with dirty minds. In other countries, a naked body is just a naked person. That's it. But again, these are the same people who don't want to remove Confederate statues because of history. <laughs> I have on a good authority that um, of these sixth graders, most of them have phones. 
they, they, they can see David. I don't think any of them were damaged. <sighs> but when it comes to nonsense, malfeasance and rank fuckery, I, I, I have to say it was just a festival of it today at the TikTok hearings. I, I, I spend all day trying to think about what's the dumbest thing I've seen all day that we can then go and talk about and make fun of. Boy, I was not ready for the TikTok hearings today. Now, I don't know if you watched it or not. Maybe you have better things to do. And if that's the case, God bless you. Can I hang out? But um, TikTok CEO went before Congress to talk about their concerns about the app security and who owns the app. This is uh, Xiao Zichu, the TikTok CEO, and he was trying to assuage the Congress critters' fears that this app that 150 million Americans are using is a national security threat didn't go well. As you probably know, a lot of politicians of both parties say that TikTok is a national security threat because it's owned by a Beijing-based company called ByteDance. ByteDance. And they're terrified the Chinese are going to use the app to steal Americans' data, just like every other social media app does. ByteDate does use data on request, and they, they, they give the government access to their user data if the government asks and they've acknowledged some of their China-based employees spied on journalists, uh, although the company said it didn't authorize them to do that and fired them after finding out. So it's dodgy on all sides. And TikTok and ByteDance are saying they have no connection to the Chinese government. This whole thing today was a bit of a microcosm of America's current distrust of China and um, old people's concern about the rise of social media. Earlier this year, the White House told federal employees they had to delete TikTok off of all their federal devices. But again, American-owned apps also collect massive amounts of users' private information. Let me, let's me let hear from uh, Representative Troy Niels. This is uh, TikTok. This is Troy Niels. Keep in mind, they don't actually care about TikTok. They're trying to get a clip on Fox News tonight. TikTok has over 150 million <clears throat> American users, and one-third of these are our teenagers. If one Chinese spy balloon poses a big enough threat to our country that it requires military action, boom, we shoot it down. It hung up there too long. I don't agree with that, but boom, we shoot it down. Imagine 150 Chinese spy devices in wow. your homes. This is happening every day, it's happening every day, and it enhances the hold TikTok truly has on American lives. Mm. Um, by the way, sometime Google why Troy Niels was fired from the Richmond Police Department. It, it's worth looking up. So, you know, it went like that all day. Now, Mr. Chu said TikTok has a plan to protect user data. It's called Project Texas. That would include a U.S.-based US security team that would have access to the data, let the government of the U.S. monitor everything. And since last summer, they said they've rounded all American user data through servers run by a U.S. cloud computing company. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter at all because people were there to grandstand. And, and again, they were very accusatory. I had times in this one I really didn't know who I wanted to root for. Some of the Republicans were asking questions about whether TikTok employed card-carrying members of the Communist Party. They asked if Mr. Chu was a member of the Communist Party. It's, Chu had to explain he lives in Singapore. He's from there. He got his degree in London. He went to Harvard Business School. Um, he kept saying over and over again he had no China ties. Didn't matter. They went, And this was bipartisan. Uh, Congressman Tony Cardenas of California at one point said TikTok's issues were a matter of life and death. Kathy McMorris Rogers said, ByteDance is beholden to the CCP and ByteDance and TikTok are one and the same. 
At one point, he said, I have seen no evidence that the Chinese government has access to TikTok user data. They never asked us. We have not provided. So, you know, it went on like this for a long time. Now, Britain, Australia and Canada have already banned TikTok's use on government devices. The government of India permanently banned TikTok in the country two years ago. And uh, no surprise, the Taliban announced that uh, it was banned to prevent the younger generation from being misled. So how likely is it that the U.S. will ban TikTok? Not bloody likely is the answer. First off, how do you ban it without violating the First Amendment? I mean, think about this. You know, judges blocked Trump's attempt to ban TikTok in 2020. And they said that you didn't present enough evidence to justify bans. They tried to force TikTok to get sold. That didn't work. Biden's hoping that'll happen. But here's the deal. A lot of young people use it. A lot of progressive young people use it. A lot of progressive young people use TikTok like their lives depend on it. Do you really think this Democratic Party is going to have the favorite app of young people be deleted from their phones? Do you think the Democrats can win anything in 2024 without young people? I mean, I'm sorry, but we just read all these articles about how young voters was the key to their success in the midterms. TikTok spokesperson said the livelihoods of the 5 million businesses on TikTok or the First Amendment implications of banning a platform loved by 150 million Americans went unmentioned. There was a hashtag TikTok hearing. It had almost 3 million views by 3.30 this afternoon. And a lot of people said it was straight up fear mongering. And they were right. Like, I, I don't know if we can trust TikTok or not, but I know we can't trust Republican Congress critters. Again, 150 million active users. You ban this, it's very politically horrible for Democrats. So who knows, right? I mean, will Democrats ban it because they think it's Chinese malware or will they not because they don't want to piss off the electorate? Here's Democratic Senator Ed Markey on the danger of TikTok showing this is truly a bipartisan affair. I want to be clear. TikTok poses serious and specific privacy problems. We're talking about a company that could expose Americans' users, including young users, personal and sensitive information to the Chinese government. The intelligence community has raised grave concerns that Beijing could potentially influence millions of American TikTok users with the platform's algorithms, spread malware to our smartphones, force the company uh, to amass troves of data on users, and then demand that information be handed over to the Chinese Communist Party. In other words, TikTok could collect your personal data without your consent, and then target you with information that the Chinese government wants you to see. Or potentially, even worse, monitor where you go and what you do. We already know that TikTok is currently on privacy probation with the Federal Trade Commission consent decree, they had to pay a $5 million fine for violating the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. That's my law. So more adults in America support banning TikTok at the federal level than opposing it. 41% of us, according to the Washington Post, want to have a federal ban of the app. 25% are against it. More than 70% of us are worried that TikTok's parent company is based in China. 36% of us are very concerned about that. Um, I hope these people don't know where all their iPhones are made. Now, again, we had a select committee review of TikTok under Trump, and Trump called for a ban. Biden repealed Trump's executive order calling for a ban. 
But now Biden is saying, well, it should be sold. It should be sold. But again, there was nothing going on here. The Republicans brought him in to yell and scream and show they're strong on China. That's all it was. When you're watching the news later and seeing clips from it, that's all it was. Kathy McMorris-Rogers is the committee chair, and she said her opening statements it should be banned. I didn't see a lot of Democrats joining her in that. Again, it's 150 million people using it. So no one's going to do anything. 150 million monthly users and a huge slice of the news and social connection and entertainment industries. You, you're not going to shut down this app. It's way too big. And and again, God bless you, Biden. I don't think China will approve the sale of their company and their algorithm since they're the ones who developed it. Republicans did this just to beat up on TikTok. And that's the irony. They're just like the kids on TikTok. They just want to go viral. And they're doing it for the video. (laughs) But here's the deal, folks. You want some proof that they're full of crap? They keep telling us how TikTok is going to do all these horrible things to our society, but none of them have shown up with any kind of bills that could protect Americans' privacy. None of them have had any bills that would force a ban of the app or a sale of the app. It's all theater. And again, TikTok poses arguably the same threat that companies like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter pose. It's just owned by a foreign country. And can I just say I'm outraged? That these Chinese tech oligarchs would use TikTok to collect our personal data, like American and Saudi tech oligarchs already do. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back. It feels like a long time since last weekend when Donald Trump did a post on his awful social media site that is a Russian money laundering front where he uh, said he was going to be indicted on Tuesday. And of course, he wasn't, but he was already able to raise millions of dollars because he lied that he was being indicted. So the House Republicans got all outraged and played along, and they demanded Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's office produce all of their evidence, all of their documents, all of their testimony, because that's what you do, right? That That's what always happens. Today, the DA's office fired back at Jim Jordan, saying the letter only came after Donald Trump created a false expectation that he would be arrested the next day and his lawyers reportedly urged you to intervene. Neither fact is a legitimate basis for congressional inquiry. What does this mean? 
It means it's getting interesting. And Donald Trump's gone ballistic on Truth Social. He called Manhattan D.A. Bragg, who is a black man, an animal. Okay, do you you understand? And then he was mocking calls for his supporters to remain peaceful and showed a picture of himself holding a baseball bat next to a picture of Alvin Bragg's head. Do you get it? For more, I want to bring in someone smarter and more moral and a better student of the law than I. Professor Corey Brechneider is the man who teaches in the poli-sci department at Brown University. Uh, Since 2016, you may have read his analysis on the Trump administration and politics for The New York Times, Politico and Time magazine. His essential book is The Oath and the Office, a guide to the Constitution for future presidents. I can't recommend this enough. Also, check out his Penguin Liberty series books on free speech, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's notable cases and impeachment. Professor Brechneider, welcome back. Thanks, John. Looking forward to talking. Of course, the story is getting uh, even more interesting and and uh, and unpredictable. Boy, I'll say it is. I mean, right now, while Trump's going ballistic, more and more people are thinking, "Okay, the grand jury keeps getting pushed back and pushed back. They didn't meet again today. If there is an indictment, it's not till next week. But, Corey, I was reading tonight that people think that there's already the the theory that maybe the Manhattan D.A. was told to stand down because the DOJ is going to indict Trump on the Mar-a-Lago documents. I mean, it's a lot of malfeasance to keep track of. I'll tell you, that is one dynamic that we were talking last time last week about you know how how important it would be if this isn't the only indictment given that it's clearly the weakest of the cases and just yeah. to remind listeners there's the Manhattan District Attorney case uh about Stormy Daniels there's the Atlanta grand jury looking into the uh really blatant attempt that we've heard the phone call of, of him him looking for a, a very specific number of votes in order to mm-hmm. basically undo the election and then there's this espionage case, uh, mm-hmm. espionage act case involving the top secret documents at Mar-a-Lago. Um, and that's you know, Jack Smith. Brax is the is the weakest, so it could be. And I know we're going to get into the details. Corey, you've also let you've also left you've also left out still a Jack Smith investigation into January sixth, the Eugene Carroll rape and defamation case, and yeah. New York State Attorney General Letitia James. There's there's a there's a lot of sharks in this water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I guess I'd, I'd say (laughs) if we're going to rank these, that although the Carroll, uh, lawsuit and the Letitia James, uh, investigation are quite serious, they're investigations into serious matters, they're not criminal. And so, so I, I would say the Manhattan DA is, is another level because it carries, you know, not just fines and penalties, but, uh, but, but possible jail time. Uh, yeah. Anyway, th- it's not good to lead with the Manhattan case, and it could be. I've been wondering how much are they signaling each other? How much is their actual communication? There's no ethics mm-hmm. rule, certainly against prosecutors coordinating. And think about it this way: if this was all, if these cases were all being brought within one office, the most important thing to do would be to lay out the charges in, in a specific order, and that's from most serious to least serious. And uh, you know, there's a danger, and Bragg is not. I think he wants to do his duty. He thinks this is a case that should be brought. But he also must see that strategically you don't want to go with the weakest case first. And so now that we're seeing signaling from certainly the Department of Justice case that this is getting increasingly aggressive, very aggressive. Mm. I could see just the point in the office of saying, what's the rush here? Let's just slow it down. Let them go first. And then if we bring our additional case, then it looks a lot better. Well, let me ask you about that, because obviously, yeah, it is the weakest case of all of them. It would be hardly a a slam dunk. 
And of course, they're terrified that it, it could fail. And if this prosecution fails, I mean, a Democrat bringing a case against a former Republican president for what's thought to be the least of his crimes, and there's still no conviction, it would certainly help Trump with fundraising quite a bit. Oh, yeah. But, you know, but we have to remember a couple of things, one of which is Michael Cohen's already gone to jail for this. You know, right. none of these people outraged that Donald Trump being investigated had any umbrage when Michael Cohen went to jail for it a couple of years ago. Right. But also, I'm, yeah. I'm wondering, Professor, what what could the charges conceivably be? I mean, falsification of business records. Yeah, we should get into this because I, I feel like a personal duty to, to to talk about it as publicly as possible. It's, you know, there is a very clear path to a crime here. Now, whether it's the most serious crime, I've suggested it's not compared to the others. But there is a, a felony here, a minor felony. And it's the falsification of business records is misleading. That is the primary charge. But what raises it to a felony is that it's the falsification of the business records pursuant to a crime, a violation right. of campaign finance laws. Now, right. there are laws in New York State, but also at the federal level, that say if you uh, contribute to a campaign, if uh, there's an expenditure towards a campaign, you receive uh, a benefit to the campaign for the purpose of a campaign, you have to report it. So what's right. the point of falsifying business records? It must be that Bragg has evidence, not just a surmise, not a guess, but evidence, and certainly Michael Cohen is a big part of it. But remember, there could be emails with the president that Cohen has given over. There could be other very convincing evidence that the intent here was exactly to evade campaign finance reform uh, laws. Now, that is a crime, and that's a felony, and it's you know exactly the same, as you said, offense that Cohen was uh, pled guilty and, and went to jail for. He pled to jail. He pled to guilty for federal campaign finance violations. He went to jail for it. And again, none of these guys were upset when Michael Cohen did it. Now, I mean, does it weaken their case that their star witness is Michael Cohen, a lying felon? You know, so much of this is is, and I think part of the problem here for for Bragg when it comes to public relations is he can't tell us what evidence he has. But he wouldn't bring this case. I, I do not see a not world in which he'd bring it, unless the evidence was so convincing that um, partly Cohen's word for it. But Cohen is a lawyer. There are documents. There, there are paper trails. Maybe there are recordings that Trump, he didn't just do this by himself, that Trump told him, hey, yeah. I want you to do this for the purpose of avoiding the campaign finance laws. Let's make it look like a business expense. But again, if it's just Trump listing his his reimbursing Michael Cohen, because Michael Cohen paid mm. Stephanie Clifford, uh, uh, Stormy Daniels, and then Trump mm. reimbursed him. And Trump just said the reimbursement was was legal expenses. That on its own is probably just a misdemeanor yeah. that they will never bring right. charges against. I mean, I, I don't think right. Alvin Bragg is going to subject his family to months and months of death threats. No, to, no, to, it to can't just, be that. For nothing. Yeah, he has to have more. And, you know, what does he have? Let's, I think one thing that might be helpful is although we're surmising. Let's think of the kind of evidence that you'd think, oh, you know what? This does make sense to bring this to bring this charge. And here's one. A phone call where Trump says to Michael Cohen, hey, Michael, you know those campaign finance laws? We need to get around them. Let's pretend that this payment <laughs> to Stormy Daniels is a business expense. He is that dumb. Right. <laughs> he would say something like that on a phone call or maybe even maybe. in an e email. 
And if I we think have more that, likely, I, but I think oh. more likely they'll pull a Bill Clinton and say this was not to to cheat in an election. This was to save his marriage. It's an understandable lie to tell. Right, and he's got a lot of defenses here, and I don't want to lose sight of that. And when I say it's in many ways the the um, weakest case, you know, even if he does have these other forms of evidence, he needs to show intent. Otherwise, he's got no case. If it's just he's got that check that we've all seen the picture of, then then there's no there there. But if he could show that there was intent, and he has something like the docu- like documentary evidence that I suggested, a recording, an email, or even Cohen's testimony, if it's credible, that they have a meeting where he explained, you know, this is a violation of campaign finance laws. <laughs> and and yeah. Trump said, I, I know it is. Do it anyway. That's, I think, certainly what they have at minimum. Uh, now it looks like the intent here was clearly to um, evade uh, campaign finance laws. Now, you yep. know, this might sound like, uh, you know, technicalities or difficult to show, but that's how the criminal law works. It's all about intent. So that that part of it is an unusual. Right, right. And yet, and yet, I mean, Donald Trump is, according to Axios, he's he's posted about this investigation more than 30 times on his website in the last 24 hours. He's called this African-American man an animal who is doing the work of anarchists and the devil. Uh, he says in all, all caps, our country is being destroyed as they tell us to be peaceful, mocking the concept of peaceful protests. I, I mean, it seems like, Professor, Donald Trump did create this indictment day of the Tuesday arbitrarily, uh, and he's been fundraising off of it. Um, he, they, they posted a picture showing all the police barricades being set up, and he included that in a fundraising email. He's made millions off of this lie. I don't understand treating a DA's office this way. I guess I'm not rich enough that I can play chicken like this. Well, he just has this intuition that seems... To everyone normal, everyone in politics, everyone in strategy to be a public relations disaster. But let's go back to remember, you know, so too did it look like when he said, uh, you know, they're not bringing us our best people or any of his other famous lines from the campaign that it was over for him. And then that just rallies his base. And when your base is, well, as we've often said, fascistic. Uh, you know, th- he knows what he's doing. Now, will that win yeah. the, an election? That, that's a different question. But I think it certainly will rally some of his base uh, to him. And when they see the evidence that I'm talking about, by the way, they're not going to care at all. <laughs> right, <laughs> so, right. Well, that, so that's it. There will be, And there will be evidence. And again, I keep saying this, Corey, like we have to stop viewing this as the first indictment of a former president and start viewing it merely as Trump's first indictment, <laughs> because there will be a second and third and Love fourth it. indictment of a former president. Now, the, the grand jury was not meeting again today, which seems very strange. They didn't meet yesterday amidst all this hype. Mm. Now, if there will be an indictment, it's not likely to come until next week. But this is happening while things are heating up with the documents case. And I, I'd like to, to go a bit into that. Um, New York Times headline mm-hmm. today, court action underscores peril for Trump in documents investigation. They're still, in, still pulling up uh, um, putting together a much stronger case that Donald Trump legitimately obstructed efforts by the government to get classified material and that he probably lied to his own lawyer. I'm thinking the Evan Corcoran testimony tomorrow is probably going to be the thing that gets the headlines for the week's end. Yeah, I mean, the first on the ordering, I could imagine that, you know, when we talked last week, I thought that it was going to be not Tuesday, because the grand jury was not meeting on Tuesday. It was supposed to possibly meet on, on Wednesday, yesterday. 
Um, and what could have happened is that Bragg was seeing the death threats come in, seeing the riling up the crowd, and was seeing, that wouldn't have been enough, I don't think, but and was seeing the major moves going on that we're about to talk about in the right. DOJ case. And he thought, you know what, let's delay. What's the rush? So that's very possible. What's going on is incredible stuff. We have this uh, special counsel who's getting increasingly aggressive. And normally uh, there is a privilege, a, a right to not have one's communication with a lawyer, uh, with with your, your personal attorney, reveal oh, yeah. the attorney-client privilege. And what's happening is it looks like there's an accusation by this very aggressive uh, special counsel that a crime was committed in the course of the communication. So mm-hmm. if I say to my lawyer, hey, I want you to go out and, uh, you know, commit assault and robbery and another heinous crime tomorrow, that's that's not protected by attorney-client privilege. The, the veil is pierced. So that that's the accusation here, that the that um, that a, a crime uh, was committed in telling uh, the lawyer to obstruct justice, and there was That's a crazy ser- series of events where where within twelve hours a brief had to be filed, and basically Trump lost. He not only lost, but now, I mean, this is almost unheard of. Like, his lawyer is going to have to give the government dozens of documents. He's going to have to go to the grand jury himself. They're going to get Trump's attorney to have to testify to the grand jury and answer questions he's been trying to avoid. And in the middle of all of this, Judge Howell, we've talked about a lot this week, was was noting that the prosecutors in the office of special counsel Jack Smith had made, let me quote the Times, a prima facie showing that the former president committed criminal violations. That kind of seems like a spoiler that big indictments are coming. I think so. I think that, you know, remember, too, you don't have to show beyond a reasonable doubt that crimes are committed at the indictment phase. You just have to um, show, you know, uh, something less than that and, and probably more than preponderance of, of the evidence. And, you know, saying that there's a prima facie uh, case here, does that mean there's enough for an indictment? Possibly. <laughs> it's a little, it means, you know, what it sounds like at first glance looks like he did it. And uh, that might be code for, yeah, we have enough for an indictment. So, so that's yet another reason Bragg is either communicating with the Department of Justice directly or is seeing the signals here and I think really in a savvy way thinks, you know what, let Trump spin his wheels and say these things. We don't need to play mm. into his hands. He's on our timeline. We're not on his. And mm. let me let this amazing DOJ case go first. Remember, it's the Espionage Act that they're accusing him of violating. And uh, we really don't know what's in there, but that that doesn't sound like a minor crime to me. No, not at all. Uh, Professor, we've only got a couple of minutes, but every, every week I've been trying to talk with you a bit about what's going on in Israel right now, because mm. we're not getting too much coverage about it. But there is a big battle for democracy itself going on in Israel at the moment. I know that Netanyahu was trying yeah. to completely overhaul the Supreme Court, and it seems like a lot of young people have uh, maybe reached their threshold of Bibi. Yes, and... I, I love that way of putting it. Democracy itself is under threat. Um, there isn't a formal constitutional bill of rights the way they we have in the United States. Instead, they have a more recently passed uh, series of laws that guarantee human rights that the Supreme Court has said, hey, things like non-discrimination uh, based on ethnicity or race, 
or religion, basic human rights uh, entitlements. Uh, all of those things are going to be protected now by courts. So if you pass a law that, as in the United States, that violates equal protection, mm. that violates some basic human rights, we'll stop it. Now, BB <laughs> is, you know, the equivalent of imagining a president saying, not even Trump would say this, let's get rid of the Bill of Rights. That's basically what BB is doing, is saying, let's get rid of court protection of human rights. And one worry is it's part of an overall assault on the judiciary so that if he himself, he's under criminal investigation, if he's indicted, he's thinking that one one worry is that this is a way to, uh, rather than ensuring democracy and the rule of law, that he would go to jail if he committed a crime, that he can clear wow. away that way. So it, and it again, just, an to, just to put this, assault. and just for our final couple seconds, when they say human rights, by humans, they mean including Palestinians, right? Because that's Absolutely. kind of what we're talking about here. Yes, that was the trigger, I think, the court's protection of Palestinians that uh, led to BB's assault on, on that court. Corey, thank you so much. Listen, please, please, uh, let's go deeper on this next week. What's the best way for our listeners to follow you, Professor? I'm still on the Twitter, uh, Brett Schneider C and CoreyBrettSchneider.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Corey. Have a great weekend. It's great to hear from you. Thank you. Quick break. We'll be right back with your calls on SiriusXM. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. I'm John saying This is SiriusXM Progress. You might have heard about this, but right now in Texas, lawmakers are trying to completely reshape education with something they're calling the Texas Parental Bill of Rights. Sounds pretty good, right? Sounds like, oh, I bet parents should have a Bill of Rights. Absolutely. Until you look deeper and see, oh, it's all about just pouring public taxpayer money into private religious schools that are allowed to discriminate and be homophobic and teach children evolution is a myth. Sounds just like Texas. For more, I need someone smarter and more informed and moral than me. And we've got him. Dr. Jason Nichols is an award-winning full-time senior lecturer in the African-American Studies Department at the University of Maryland College Park. You may have seen or read him in The Guardian, Al Jazeera, Fox News, or NBC. It is always a great pleasure to welcome Dr. Jason back to the show. Hello, sir. Hey, how you doing, John? Great I'm to be very here. good. Thank you. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I was just watching this, uh, this documentary on Reggie Jackson. Uh, oh, so. yeah. How is it? Yeah. I, I, he's going to be coming to Sirius XM. I'm hoping we can get him. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, he's um, I mean, it was it's amazing. It's amazing. I had to pause it, but it's it's amazing. Uh, you know, I'm not a huge baseball fan, uh, but, you know, 
Reggie Jackson is a legend. So watching that documentary, it was amazing. Just the history. The first time, the first time I ever saw a Yankees game. I was raised in a Mets family. My my family was hardcore Brooklyn, like hardcore Brooklyn Dodgers. I had an old grandfather who was racist against the Yankees, like just just so <laughs> bigoted against the Yankees. So, but one time, my dad took me to the, the Yankees as a kid, and I got to see Reggie Jackson and Ron Guidry in the same game, and just a legend. Just, just and and like. <laughs> If there was a Reggie Jackson today, baseball would be bigger and more popular. Oh, definitely. I, well, we could have a whole discussion about, you know, uh, baseball and their disinvestment in, in urban uh, communities, particularly African-American communities. We, we could have a, a big discussion about that. But, um, yeah, I, I, I grew up on, you know, Cal Ripken and Eddie Murray. You know, I'm, I, I grew up in the Baltimore area. I'm from, I'm from New York. I'm from Harlem originally. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when I got into baseball, it was all about the O's. And, and I yeah. don't know if you're a big baseball fan, but Mike Devereaux was my favorite player. I loved right Mike Devereaux. <laughs> like he always, whenever I went to a game with my parents, he always like, did something amazing so yeah we were hardcore Mets fans I mean fundamentalist Mets fans in my house which is why I wear black (laughs) like a pallbearer most of the time Um, (laughs) I'm so glad you wanted to talk about this Texas parental bill of rights because it just to me I I, I'm very dubious we we it's another Republican bait-and-switch you hear the language you think oh that sounds really great and then you look deeper and you realize wait a second is this just a way to funnel taxpayer public money into private right-wing Christian schools, or really, is it just a way to bring about more segregation? Yeah, I mean, well, that's always been the scheme uh, with school choice. Um, It's basically to make the the public school system that is desperate for dollars uh, collapse, essentially. And one of the things that it's going to do is it's not just going to hurt a lot of uh, schools and inner cities and things like that. It's going to hurt rural schools the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was reading this article where this one rural uh, uh, superintendent was saying the fact that, you know, if we lose two kids, that's a teacher's salary. You know what I mean? We're going to have to get rid of a teacher. We're going to have that's to it. get rid of a, a of a custodian, you know, that keeps the building open. Like, yeah. this will literally destroy our school system. Um, and though, where, where are those other kids going to go? Are they all going to go to this, you know, to the private school? But that's um, the racket. No, they're always going to fall between the cracks. The goal has always been to defund the public school system until children can go to private Christian, I'm making air quotes on the radio because I'm a twit, Christian schools where they can be indoctrinated or some would say groomed with homophobia, <laughs> with anti-science. And the whole notion is that the goal is to make public school the trash heap for the poor kids. That's been Absolutely. the scheme for all my life. And and the interesting thing is that eight thousand uh, dollars isn't going to get you into a lot of. I don't know what it's like in Texas, but I can tell you where I live. Eight thousand dollars is not going to really pay a lot of tuition uh, unless you no. already have the the ability to pay the rest of that money. So really, it's gonna it's gonna actually separate. Like I looked at some private schools, you know. Just kind of checking for my kids who all go to public school right now and like $30,000, you know, so mm-hmm. what what you're going to get is people who have the means are probably going to take from 
the public school system and take that eight thousand dollars yeah. supplement the extra you know ten thousand dollars for their kid to go to some private school or to a parochial school or religious school or catholic school and then you know the kids whose parents can't do that who depend on public schools That's are right. going to be stuck in in failing schools or it's just going to collapse or schools are going to shut down it, it's really uh this terrible insidious thing uh that we're seeing and, and it's happening in plain sight and texas of course has so many issues you know and all these culture war things that that people are fighting are, are really just going to hurt working class people that's really what's going to happen Professor, how is this also not a First Amendment issue? I mean, when you're trying to take taxpayer dollars and use them to fund schools where there is no separation of church and state, where you can literally just just teach theocracy. I mean, how can you have taxpayers fund schools where children can be taught to be bigoted against their LGBTQ brothers and sisters? I have no problem with Catholic schools and Christian schools. My, my, my dad taught in a Catholic school for years. It's just when taxpayer funds are going to, to a decidedly illiberal education, to a decidedly, um, in some cases, not all, but in some cases, let's say a bigoted uh, a school. Uh, how can we not bring up the fact that this has got to be a violation of separation of church and state? Yeah, well, I, I think that that is that is an argument. I think a lot of people are going to make the argument, too, that this is, you know, that they're going to take the money for homeschooling as well. Yeah, that's right. And you can so, get $8,000 to do homeschooling with your child on this. Right. And so I think their argument could be you know, I'm a parent. This is why it's the, the parental bill of rights is I'm a parent. I pay taxes. I'm a taxpayer. I should be able to teach my child. And, and one of the things that, you know, again, uh, about the, the Constitution that I think a lot of people forget. Number one, the Constitution is written in the negative. You know, you're, you're actually not given rights. It says these rights cannot be infringed, um, right. which, which is one thing. The other thing is there is no constitutional amendment that uh, entitles anyone to a public education. That's, that's, that's not in the Constitution. People have been doing this, what you're talking about, in terms of, you know, we could call it indoctrination, um, from, you know, from the civil rights movement. So once you started desegregating schools, what happened? Mm -hmm. The first, I think, was Lynchburg Academy. If I'm not mistaken, Lynch, Lynchburg Christian Academy started by um, Falwell, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yes. They opened it up. And the whole idea was we're going to give these kids a Christian education. I'm doing the air quotes just like <laughs> it's good radio just like you on the radio. Um, <laughs> we're going to give these kids a Christian education, which basically meant we're going to maintain segregation because That's these it. are going to be all white independent schools. That was uh, Jerry Falwell's of, whole thing. He was a huge segregationist to work who opened up whites only schools. Absolutely. So uh, with that, you know, um, a lot of people, including I'm pretty sure Cindy Hyde Smith, who is the senator from Mississippi, went to mm -hmm. one of those schools. Um, it, it was all meant to keep segregation alive yeah. in a way where they could skirt around you know, civil rights legislation and and skirt around, you know, essentially the the constant, not the Constitution, the, um, you know, Brown versus Board interpretation exactly. of the Constitution. Exactly. So 
I, this has been happening for a long time. This is nothing new, but now they're trying to make it even more widespread and make it even more ideological, openly ideological. And they're making, and by the way, and it's all about excluding the poor kids. I mean, like, who's going to get into these private schools? Not kids with behavioral issues in their past. Those right. kids will fall through the cracks because that, and that's my biggest problem with this whole charter school thing. I've I've made a movie about this, and I've I've spent time in charter schools, and I've seen great ones, and I've seen creepy ones. I'm not against charter schools, but it just seems the entire system is designed to let poor kids or kids who are struggling fall through the cracks and be part of the prison, the school to prison pipeline we like to talk about. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I feel the same way about charter schools. I'm I'm not against charter schools theoretically, but the way they have operated, number one, there's a study, I believe, out of Berkeley that said that they don't produce any better results. They don't. than, Than public schools, number one. We've seen them, you know, people like to point to a couple of examples, usually New Orleans, which Again, those results, again, they cook the books because they kick the kids out. They're able to kick out kids that they consider problematic, kids that have disabilities, all those kinds of things. And when you look at uh, what was done by the DeVos family in Detroit, it's been an utter Mm. failure. Like Mm -hmm. it's been worse than it was before. So um, the charter schools, their disciplinary practices, I, I used to, you know, visit, uh, you know, a charter school in Baltimore, the the KIPP school there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, like I said, in principle and, and in theory, I don't have a problem with charter schools, except for the fact that they skirt around unions. They do. They do a lot of, of things uh, that I think are troubling, not only for students, but for workers. But other than that, you know, theoretically, the idea that you can say, hey, I want a school for, you know, the arts or math and science or, you know, whatever, have kind of a theme around education. I don't have any problem with that. But the way that it works and the way it has worked, that's it. And the way it's functioned thus far has left far too many children out. Uh, And think about, you know, and I always say this, you know, for all the right wing people, if there's any right wing people listening, some of your favorite people would have never made it if they had been in that kind of a situation. You know, if you like Ben Carson, you know, he was That's a right. problem child, you know, with, right. with you know, behavior issues. Now, you can't always trust his stories. Who knows how true some of them are, you know, because I know he told the story about being approached by a thief or a robber at, at a right. Popeye's, which mm-hmm. I know is false. <laughs> you know, I happen to know that exact Popeye's that did not happen. I promise you. And he's a vegan, by the way. So, yeah. um, you know, it didn't happen. But, you know, his childhood, if he if what he's saying is correct and he was the problem child, he would have been out of the street on a lot of uh, charter schools. He would not have mm-hmm. had some of the opportunities that he exactly. had. Exactly. Um, he might he you might see, you know, Ben Carson, who who had a jail record or something like that instead of being a world renowned, you know, physician. Yeah. So instead of being a world renowned physician who completely destroyed his credibility and reputation. I mean, yeah, you're exactly <laughs> right. You know, I, what just gets me about this, Jason, is is it, it makes me crazy that they never talk about how do we fix the public school system. I mean, I, I like to ask my conservative friends, does America deserve to have the best public school system in the world? 
because they hate to answer that question because they don't want America to have that. They don't want equality for poor children. This is not about helping the public school system. It's about abandoning ship, but there's only lifeboats for some of us. And that's what gets me about this law. Right. Yeah. No, I I agree with you 100 um, percent. There are so many things that we could do to help public schools and all these billionaires there in Texas. They're actually giving, you know, uh, they're funding this. The billionaires in Texas, the billionaire donors are actually funding some of these, you know, efforts to undermine public schools. If they actually yes. put some money, number one, if we made them pay real taxes, which you know, Boom. generally we don't. <laughs> a lot of <laughs> a lot of states, you know, like Florida and Texas, don't make billionaires pay. That's why a lot of people that I even like, you know, move to those states so they can, you know, so they can shelter their money. Um, yeah. If those people actually put money into public schools and actually funded some teacher salaries and funded teacher training Boom. so that teachers got the the experience that they need and and got paid a certain salary so those the best students out of the University of, of Texas at Austin and the best students out of Texas A&M and the best students out of Texas State the best students out of Prairie View A&M instead of going into corporate America they wanted to go into teaching because they know they can make a six-figure salary then that would actually help right you know, thank you uh, a lot thank you yes why can't we be having the kind of salaries we can dangle to attract incredible talent to schools and to give and and yes i'm just i'm i'm sorry i've got a kid who's going to start middle school in new york city next year i'm just standing up and cheering for all this can we shift from this malfeasance in texas and talk about uh something more wholesome like donald trump because it has been <laughs> a remarkable week of donald trump lying that he was going to be indicted when it wasn't true, and then fundraising off the outrage that he created. I, I, Alvin Bragg has had it, I think. And I think that this might be the last decent week Donald Trump has for a long time. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Um, it, it's really interesting what Donald Trump did there. I mean, and, and I got to say, it's it's slightly clever. All it of is. the news organizations, I, I'm sure, you know, your phone was ringing off the hook. My phone was ringing off the hook. Um, trying to like Donald Trump's going to be indicted. Do you want to, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on it? And the whole time I'm going on these TV shows and I'm like, you don't have any evidence that he's going to be indicted. All you have is his word. And then we find out the grand jury process wasn't even complete you know, at that point. He was putting it out there before like right. they'd even finished. Um, they were still calling Michael Cohen to come back. There were rebuttal yeah. witnesses and all this. And it was Trump like, was setting the narrative. He's what he does best. I, I said, Jason, this is no different than, than no collusion. When the Russia investigation began and Trump kept saying there was no collusion, no collusion, no collusion. And we're all like, dude, collusion's not a crime. Why are you saying that? No collusion. We didn't realize he was programming or some would say grooming his army. <laughs> so uh, when he never got charged with collusion, because that's not a crime, they all said, oh, completely right. vindicated. It seems like the same exact play here. They're going to arrest me on Tuesday, arrest me on Tuesday. And when they didn't, he can fundraise off it and claim that he intimidated them because he's strong and they're weak. It's just, it's, right. it's kind of beautiful how he plays these rubes for suckers. Yeah. I mean, 
collusion isn't a crime. Conspiracy is. And I think conspiracy it, is. it was a little bit, you know, I, I don't want to go down the Russia path, but, uh, you know, conspiracy <laughs> no. is a crime. I'll just say that. Um, and there were some there were some interesting things I watched or I was listening to that Lev Parnas thing when it was happening. Right. Was, I don't know how real that is. I'm, I'm not saying it's real, but. You know, it, it was it was definitely interesting about the Hunter Biden laptop. But at any rate, um, yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. Look, I, what I always say is uh, yeah, I'm not a Democrat, but Democrats aren't a cult. Go ahead and prosecute Hunter Biden. If crimes were committed, sure. lock them all up. I don't care. I'm not in a cult. Lock them all up. <laughs> Republicans yeah, don't have the same. Yeah, but 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 what our Republican friends can't feel the same way. They've got to just say, oh, no. I mean, look, look at how. They've gone after Alvin Bragg by saying New York has so much crime. There is so much out of control crime. Now, in reality, this is a race thing. And in reality, New York's not even in the top 20 of violent crime cities. But they're saying, they're saying, oh, there's so much violent crime. And he's going after Donald Trump for this. In other words, why don't you not prosecute the criminals I like? That's, that's right. that argument, essentially. Absolutely. And, and you know, so... <laughs> And and I'm, I might end up going after some Democrats. So if I no, let's do it. Let's do it. Connects. You're uh, welcome here. Go for go for put it. Put it on me. But you know, I was watching MSNBC. Uh, first of all, a lot of people were bringing on Byron Donalds, mm-hmm. um, and he's yeah. sitting there saying the exact same thing. He was going on, and he was saying, "There's all this crime in in uh, in New York City," and I'm like, "Bro, you represent Fort Myers, Florida." Fort Myers has a higher crime rate than New York City, a higher violent crime rate in, in Fort Myers. I looked it up. You know, Byron Donalds has a higher crime rate. Byron Donalds has a higher crime rate in his own past than New York. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, he's from Crown Heights, by the way. Oh, well, um, OK. Much respect. <laughs> yeah, he's a Brooklyn guy he's, like you. I uh, wonder if he's a Mets fan. You know? I doubt it. I doubt it. No, he's 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 Florida man now, isn't he? Is that where he serves in Florida? Yeah, Byron he's Donald? in Florida, Fort Myers. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, all of these places, if you want to have guys like even we, we've seen uh, DeSantis show a little bit of guts by trying to go after Trump in this very veiled kind of way. You know, yeah, Tallahassee. Wow. They tried to, but I, I think Trump's killed him. I mean, I think Trump destroyed Ron DeSantis this week. He didn't write that long post on Truth Social. Someone else wrote it for him. There was no spelling errors. Punctuation was all correct. But Donald <laughs> Trump just listed every damning statistic about the state of Florida. I couldn't. I'm like, why can't Democrats do this and list how much Florida sucks in all the areas that matter? Trump did it. And DeSantis just looks very impotent right now, whereas Trump yeah. is fundraising off of this thing that DeSantis thought would bury him. Yeah, no, I, I think Trump... Trump is clearly going to be the nominee. The funny thing that I think is you see guys like Jim Jordan go on television and say, this is all because they don't want Donald Trump to run. I'm like, are you kidding? We want Donald Trump to run. Are you kidding? Like, We're killing this guy recently. He, he hasn't won anything since 2016. And even That's then it. he didn't win. Even the, then he the, lost. Yeah. No, yeah. I listen. I, I think that only one man could be the man to lose the U.S. popular vote three times. I want to see it. I want Trump to be the guy. So I'm, I'm completely oh, in that camp. We, we all want Trump to be the guy. I, you know what I'm going <laughs> to say that might be a little strange. If there were one guy out of the whole GOP field of people who are running and could possibly run that I would not want to see on a debate stage against Joe Biden, 
Yeah. Believe it or not, it would be Vivek Ramaswamy. Tell and me. I've interviewed v Vivek, and I actually mm -hmm. genuinely like the guy. He's an interesting uh, character. Yeah, he's interesting. But he's he's smart. He's quick on his feet. He's articulate. Yes. He's yeah. young. You know, he would actually be a problem. But we know, I hate to say it, but we know Republicans aren't going to vote for President Ramaswamy. Correct. <laughs> like, let's Correct. keep it real here. Yeah, you that's know? why it's going to be interesting to see him in the debate. Maybe, I mean, maybe he will open some hearts. He is a smart guy, um, even though he's choosing to run in that party. I guess that's why he's smart. The way the way Bloomberg and Eric Adams decided they were going to be Democrats. I mean, or the way the way yeah. Eric Adams decided to run as a Democrat. I think that Vivek could run as a Republican. And yeah, I mean, maybe that would be his way in. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's. He would be an interesting candidate. He's an outsider. Uh, you know, he's a business person. Um, and he, he explains things in a very, like, plain kind of way, even things that are pretty complex. I, I've heard him say, state them in very plain English that people can understand. I just don't think that a brown kid named Vivek Ramaswamy is going to win the Republican nomination. <laughs> or even, get, I hate to say that. But it's, do you well? Do you have I'm concerns? Well, let me ask you this then: Do you have concerns that Alvin Bragg, by bringing the weakest case first, we were talking about this with Professor Brechtschneider in the last hour, by bringing the weakest of all these cases first, could this be a terrible domino effect? And if Trump easily swats it down, it'll make him look Teflon, and then it'll be harder to bring more serious charges against him. I, I kind of don't buy it. I kind of feel like this would be no. the first punch to soften him up in the ring. Yeah, no, I, I don't think he's going to get away with this as easily as some people think. I, I heard Van Jones and some of the other people who were saying, hey, uh, this shouldn't be the first case. It is the smallest case. Like, it's it's not the, the most serious of all of the things that he's being accused of. Yes. But one of the things that people are missing as, is that this is a documents case. So there are documents. You know, like it's not mm -hmm. all on Michael Cohen. I keep trying to tell people that this is not all about Michael Cohen. They actually have documents. The other yeah. thing is, as the New York Times has reported, they actually do this relatively routinely with with wealthy people. This is how they get wealthy people. Yeah, is they falsify business records. And if they can prove that you are intentionally falsifying business records, then you are gonna get, uh, they're, they're gonna catch you and they're going to prosecute you and that is a felony. Mm. So I think that, you know, it's funny how the same people, and I've said this a couple of times as well, the same people who, whether it was San Francisco or other places, they were talking about these progressive, these progressive prosecutors and they were so upset and this is one thing Claire McCaskill, who, who's, I think, a Democrat, sort of. Yeah. Uh, Claire McCaskill was she was on television talking about, well, you know, we get rid of bad prosecutors. Look, they got rid of one in San Francisco, which I think and having studied that case with Chesa Bowden, I think that that was a little they probably shouldn't have done that. It, it was based on faulty information. And one of the things that People like Claire McCaskill and the corporate Democrats, what they want is what the Republicans want, which is that powerful people don't pay the price. But someone who is shoplifting, you mm -hmm. know, some nonviolent working class person who commits a quality of life crime 
They want that person to get prosecuted. That was with Chesa Bowden because the statistics, I looked at them. The statistics in LA, in San Francisco, in a lot of these areas, they were prosecuting the same number of violent crimes as their predecessors. This, it wasn't like they were letting violent criminals go. That's not true. And they were handing out tough sentences. What they were not doing or what they, what Bowden was doing Right. was finding alternatives to incarceration for right. people who did property of, you know, quality of life crimes like yes. shopping. Yeah, because that's and, smart. And so Why people, fill up our jails and add more to the mass incarceration, 75 billion total a year? It's smarter for the municipality to try to have non-incarceration solutions to keep people from breaking the law. But again, number one, Democrats have terrible or at least progressive-minded Democrats uh, I don't even know where the Overton window is now, but like, <laughs> I don't know, you know, somewhat progressive minded Democrats and people on the left. They are not good at articulating these things. Oh, you don't say and really? Yes, I've noticed that. Sometimes. The right yes. will talk about, oh, look at the homeless person. They're pooping on the sidewalk. Blah blah blah. We should put them all in jail, you know, yeah. and then the centrist Democrats start to follow them a little bit. And that's where the Claire McCaskills of the world, you know, start to go. And it's really frustrating. Because the right wing keeps setting the narrative and the rest of us are playing by their rules. Instead of talking about the tragedy of humans with mental illness, our brothers and sisters on the streets, and how are we as a society going to take care of the least of these as Christ commands us, that there's people shitting on the sidewalk. We got to put them away. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's, it takes longer to be humane and compassionate and explain the nuance of a complex dynamic than it is to just be a hammer looking for a nail. Absolutely. And, that, and that's the, the really, you know, the really sad part is that, you know, when you start seeing Democrats losing their compassion and then they start mm. throwing out the same narratives as the right. Oh, they're letting crime go They're You know, when really, yeah. you know, the, these are these are quality of life crimes. These are people who are shoplifting and, you know, these aren't violent criminals or anything exactly. like that. And, and again, even, you know, some of the young people who, who commit violent acts like Ben Carson, you know, who mm-hmm. was a youth who stabbed somebody, according to him, we should find ways to treat them, make sure, you know, they definitely should pay for crimes, particularly violent ones. Absolutely. Definitely. of those people are going to end up back on the streets. What are we doing actually to to make sure that they are prepared mentally to go back on the streets? They only want to talk about mental health when there's a a white mass shooter. That's it. (laughs) That's That's the only time you hear it. That's the only time you hear it. You're right. And again, why do you want to put nonviolent offenders in a jail where they can learn to be violent? I just don't understand. But you made a very good point, Professor, where you talked about how so often the left inadvertently plays into the right wing narrative. And there's a debate about that regarding a, uh, a friend of mine this week, Anna Kasparian of the Young Turks. Now, I've done their show many times. I, I've, I've known Cenk for many years. I, wor- I used to work with Cenk um, at, a, at a different cable channel. And Anna got a lot of heat this week for a, a tweet she had. And I, I wanted to ask your thoughts about it. She had said, I'm a person. Please don't ever refer to me as a person with a uterus, a birthing person, or a person who menstruates. How do people not realize how degrading this is? You can support the transgender community without doing this shit. Now, I kind of love the debate this stimulated. 
because there was a lot of people on the left and right saying, yeah, she, she, she makes a fair point. She's not anti-trans. And then there's a lot of people saying, oh, my God, you're playing into a right wing narrative. You're a turf. And this is how uh, dangerous it is for trans people when they can't even trust so-called liberals. And I mean, this thing has exploded on social media, the debate over this this week. I'm wondering your thoughts. So I'll tell you this. I used to be a fan of the Young Turks. I can't watch them anymore. I'm going to be honest with you. That's <laughs> like, all good. Just, all good. Not to say. A, a, lot of, um, a lot of my liberal and Democratic friends say that. Go ahead, please. Yeah. Uh, but I think what happened there and, you know, I, I don't have anything against Jenk. I don't have anything against Anna Kasparian. Right. But first of all, no one in casual conversation has ever called Anna Kasparian a birthing person. That's never happened. <laughs> no one has ever called her a, a person with a uterus. They call her a woman. At yeah. most, they'll call her a cisgender woman. Yeah, but, it, right. but probably they just call her a woman. So her be like, don't call me a, a birthing person. No one ever calls you that. That is only used in a specific context, you know, in order to right. differentiate people who can give birth from people who can't. So let's not even use trans people. Let's take the runner. I believe she's from Kenya or South Africa, Castor Semenya mm -hmm. or Semenya. I'm not sure okay. how to pronounce it. Okay. But I'm not sure. I'll she, look it up. She is an intersex woman. And so there was a whole lot of, you know, hubbub and they actually wanted her to get surgery because she has something instead of ovaries, she has something basically that operate like gonads. So okay. she has, you know, more testosterone. Yes, that's right. Most women. So, that's right. you know, all these people that talk about natural athletes and we don't want you to, you know, to dope or do anything like that. They wanted her to take drugs you know, or to literally have surgery and physically alter herself. Yeah, she had now, she had testicles inside her body. Uh, she right. was intersex. And so, yeah, the, the, the World Athletics, whatever it's called, uh, said her testosterone was too high. And so they said you have to have surgery if you want to compete. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's so absurd. But that aside, she can't give birth. She's still a woman. She was That's born right. with a vagina. You know what I mean? Right. Like mm -hmm. when she was born, no, you know, someone, a doctor didn't pick her up and be like, oh, I don't know. But she is a person who is a woman who's not trans. She's cisgender. Who does not have a uterus. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? She doesn't have a uterus, or at least I don't believe so. And she can she is not capable of giving birth but that doesn't make her any less of a woman than anna kasparian that's right anna kasparian has the capability to give birth presumably i don't right. i don't know but presumably <laughs> she does and, yes, I, i'm sure she so does so the, the whole thing there again it's used in a particular context in order to say this particular legislation or this particular policy or whatever is aimed at people like Anna Kasparian, women like Anna Kasparian, as opposed to women like Castor Semenya or S Semenya. Yes. And, and she's she said, by the way, she lost her livelihood. She lost her scholarship. She's lost everything by this. Just an incredible yeah. story. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm sorry we're hitting a break. What is the best way for our listeners to follow you, Professor, and keep up with all your doings? Actually, you can always follow me on 
Twitter at Dr. Jason Nichols, or you can listen to my podcast, the Working Class Elites podcast, or you can find me on Facebook or anywhere else, Jason Nichols, PhD. And hopefully I'll have some some more interesting news really soon. Uh, and hopefully oh it, that, it, it will involve a little bit of John Fugel saying, hopefully. Oh, my. I, what could you be talking about, <laughs> Professor? We got to hit a break. Thank you, Jason. We'll be right back with your calls. This is Progress. I'm John Fugel saying this is Sirius XM Progress. So, you know, one thing that you're actually seeing some uh, politicians agree on, Republicans and Democrats, to repeal the authorization of military force in Iraq 20 years later, 20 years after George W. Bush lied your country into a war that claimed the lives of 4,486 U.S. service members, just the ones over there, not counting the suicides since they got back, and killed between 200,000 and 1 million Iraqis, led to the rise of ISIS. What we're finally deciding, it's a bad idea. Uh, and both parties are saying, hey, let's, let's, let's remove that authorization of military force here. Senator Ben Cardin reads support for the repeal from Joe Biden. Let me just quote from the president's statement in support of S-316. He says, furthermore, President Biden remains committed to working with Congress to ensure that the outdated authorizations for the use of military force are replaced with a narrow and specific framework more appropriate to protecting Americans from the modern terrorist threats. Towards that end, the administration will ensure that Congress has a clear and thorough understanding of the effect of any such action and of the threats facing U.S. forces, personnel, and interests around the world. Robin Orlando, how you doing? Good evening. Rob, are you there? <laughs> what is going on tonight? Rob! Rob! I know. I'm trying to figure out what he's at. Kind of beautiful. Did you make out the song, Chris? I think he just left the phone and walked off. Rob, come on. This is your moment. Rob. It sounds like a couple of alley cats on tainted meth. Rob. This is racist Rob from Orlando. I like when he calls. Rob. All right. He wants to defend the Iraq war, right? That's why we played that whole clip. Rob, are you there? who goes out to karaoke and still makes time to call up and harass a progressive radio show. Maybe he thinks he's punking us by just making us listen to this off-key caterwauling in the background? I don't know. Rob, come on, bro. On him. He, just, he just unlocked my kink. <laughs> Rob, there will never be a woman who waits this long for you. Come on, bro. I, I was really excited about talking to Rob from Orlando. Rob, are you there? There goes the music. Rob, are you there? No? Okay. Rob, call us when the clan meeting's over. Same number. He's got a voice like an angel. I don't even want to know what it is he's doing. It sounds like he's got some skins drying out in the shed. Jim in California, welcome. I know, right? Hi, Jim. I was looking forward to Rob in Florida, too. I love when Rob in Orlando call. He wanted to call to defend the Iraq war. I was so excited. I hope he calls back. Because he's a nice guy. That was great. It was it was like karaoke night in his living room, or, or, or karaoke night at the slaughterhouse. I couldn't quite tell what was going on there, but again, it's poor poor connection. I'm sure the music sounds lovely in person. Yeah, yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, and I'm sure and I'm sure Robin Orlando is a very lovely racist in person as well. How are you tonight? You know, I'm all right. I'm all right. I was just calling. It's way back in the show, like an hour ago, maybe the first caller or or somebody right after. And they were confused as to why that there was an uptick in yes. the Latino vote for the GOP. The non-white vote and, for the GOP. Yeah. Non-white vote for the GOP, and you know I've heard it talked about on several of the other shows on Progress. I listen to Tom when I can, and Dean, and and Michelangelo when I can. You know, it, it's really about when I'm in the car. Mm-hmm. It's I get it. What's on if I'm not following some music or, or oh, I know, like that. Right on. It's one of the things I love about your show. Love the music. Thanks. I appreciate that you're. That you're not only talking politically, but that you, like, put out some real good music. Oh, Jim, thank you. But honestly, like, if, if we, we, we did this show on another channel before we came here, that, that where politics was just part of the show, and I love politics, but if that's all we could do here on Progress, I would I would lose my mind. That's why we try to have celebrities and do pop culture stuff and, and talk a lot about music and religion and literature and, yeah, try to have fun with other stuff, too. So thank you. It's beautiful. It's one of the reasons I like your show. It's one of the reasons that I was allowed in my household to come home and and be on hold with your show for an hour. Please thank your family. When when we release you and you return to them, please thank them for this amnesty. Yes. But what I wanted to point out was that the only people buying up the media in the Latin markets is the stations that are already way, way over to the right. Yeah. We need to compel anybody that buys up the progressive media space if they're if if that's actually a thing. Okay. I hope it is. I feel I hope I feel like I, there. I mean I think I think but, it is too. It's just the progressive media space is sort of swallowed up in the space. You know, there's there's conservative media and then there's everything else. And liberal media is kind of yeah. lost in the shuffle around there. You know, like over here, you've got just right wing media. Over here, you've got Friends reruns and SpongeBob and talk shows and late night and everything else. Yeah, well, come on. Come on. All the media is liberal. Come on, John. Well, uh, the media is as liberal as the corporations that own it, I would say. There you go. There you go. When I start when I start seeing a lot of shit about organized labor on CNN and MSNBC, I'll believe the media is liberal, if you know what I'm saying. There you go. There you go. But anyway, I just wanted to talk about that. That's why there might be an uptick from that particular portion of the electorate, because that's the only media that they get. Yeah. If they're listening to the media and they're Spanish speaking, yeah. there there isn't any of the you aren't on Spanish speaking media. Oh, I know. Oh, I know it. <laughs> I know. So, yeah, if you're and again, you're coming from a, an authoritarian Catholic religious tradition, which I was raised in. I am never surprised when macho Latin guys uh, are against abortion and vote for Republicans who hate Latin people. I'm just never surprised yeah. by that. Testosterone kind of rots the brain a little bit. And I get how it happens. Yes. I appreciate your space in the media. Thank you. And I love it when I get the opportunity to listen to you. Jim, I'm so honored. You know, you can always hear us on the podcast, on demand, or on the app. And please thank your family for, uh, for, for loaning you to us tonight. And uh, I, I send you home with, uh, with grace and love. <laughs> thank your wife for me. I appreciate it. Have yeah. a great evening. Thank you. Thank you. 866-997-4748. Let me get to another call really quick. Riley in Montana. Hello. Yeah. Uh, thanks for taking the call here. Hey, um, 
I just wanted to share something first. Please. Remember the days before they had the, the five-second delay in radio, you know? Yes, I do. And, and was, I was living in central Minnesota at the time, and there was this trivia show that would, you know, you'd, you'd call in and answer the trivia question, you'd win a free slice of pizza or a, a sub-lunch or something. And this is a snow day, and okay. all the kids are home from school. Okay. And, um, and I can still hear the guy, and he's like, Hello, trivia, you're on the air. And then one of the kids that was home to school, he goes, do you know the answer to the question? And the kid goes, fuck you, bitch. He goes, no, that's not the answer. And I just died laughing. You're... Next caller, please. Did that make it out? That made it out onto the air? I had no idea. I didn't even. Yeah, yeah. Wow. There, there, yeah. Well, I mean, this, uh, you know, Howard fans used to do that all the time with Baba Booey and stuff back in the oh, day. Yeah, but for yeah. me, this job has ruined me because I, I oh, spend no. this time swearing and cursing. I mean, I curse like a Republican grandmother on this show. And then I go out to do Stephanie Miller. I'm in the studio with her. Last time I was there a couple of weeks ago in L.A., I, I, I just let a curse word fly because I'm so used to being a degenerate in a radio studio. Thank God right. for the five second delay. And Chris Lavoie saved us all from thousands of dollars in fines because this job has right. ruined my character. Do you ever remember the name or run across Margie Schrodinger, George W. Bush era? W. Bush or H. W. Bush? Um, the junior. Uh, I, I, wasn't she the woman who accused someone of doing something very bad? Yep, yep. Yeah, that was... Well, what it was is they were like friends or lovers going back to when I think they were minors. And she was, she was a, a black girl. And um, what happened is they were involved in this relationship. I think it was a third party that actually... Uh, introduce them to each other and then right. um and what happened was years later as he became more you know politically well known and yeah. such um he didn't want to be involved in the relationship but he kept at her and so um she told him no because she wanted to you know she got her college degrees and stuff and and according to the allegations she you know actually registered in the, in the lawsuit is that he right. had her um college degrees expunged and uh and uh, had her house monitored, and her, both her and her husband were uh, abducted and assaulted uh, by these so-called quote-unquote FBI agents. That's what but you said. This is the one. This is for those who don't know. This this the is the woman who they found her dead. Well, I don't know if we told people yet. Have, have we told people yet? I don't know if we've revealed what she accused, but she she filed a rape lawsuit against George W. Bush right. back in two thousand two. Yes. Yeah, and she's she she's African American, and she lived in in, in uh, yeah. Houston suburb. And, and to this day, you cannot find any image of her on the Internet anywhere. I know. No I know. face, nothing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I, I never went too deep into the case because I guess it just, it just <laughs> there was nothing there, uh, at least nothing provable there. But I've, I've heard of her. I know that she died rather bizarrely. And yeah, she just kind of disappeared. But she was a, a, an African-American woman named Margie Schrodinger, who said that George W. Bush had committed sexual assault on her, and then years later said once he was president that uh, all this other kind of stuff happened with the FBI abducting her and her husband and all that. Yeah. What made you think of uh, of her? Well, anyway, I was just kind of thinking of, uh, like, like, Bush, you know, and the skeletons in his clo- closet and the shadows and things. And, yeah. and I remember, you know, when that came out and I ran across it, it was a guy that was, you know, like a, a web journalist. I think he ran by the name of the Tin Man or the Tin yeah. Whistle. Okay. And he uh, he remembers saying that talking to her, there was nothing about her that was, you know, hoo-hoo, hoo-hoo here, you know, but he said he just had this weird feeling that the right next on. time he'd hear about her, you know, it well, would be in, in the past, you know, 
Riley, I gotta, oh, I gotta was. run, but I, I, I remember her and I thank you. I, I don't know if she ever would have gotten justice. Let's not forget George Bush raped an entire country and walked away clean. 